Hey, everybody. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. Back again with another episode for you here in 2022. Before we go into who our guest is today, a few housekeeping items to take care of. If you haven't been following us on social media yet, please do so. We're at D3 Glory Days on both Instagram and Twitter, and that's a great way to keep up to date with everything that's happening currently in Division 3 running, as well as when we release podcast episodes. We plan to have a lot more coverage for you here in the upcoming track season, so make sure you're following us on social media and have our website, d3glorydays.com, bookmarked. We recently launched a Patreon, so a big thank you to our first two backers, Joe Eby and Lauren Leffler. We really appreciate your support and will go a long way in helping us accomplish some of our goals we have for this upcoming track season. You know, Chris over at Sidious Mag thinks of his Patreon as a great way to show your support for the show, especially if you've been enjoying what we've been doing. You know, you can think of it as buying us a coffee once a month or even a lunch. Today's guest is Sam Grotwald. Sam is the Director of Professional Athletes for New York Roadrunners and graduated from Simpson College. This was a great conversation for us as running fans as we were able to learn the background information on how a New York City Marathon and a Fifth Avenue Mile field is filled. Sam is responsible for making sure the fields are competitive, compelling, and fit the narrative they're trying to tell in that race for that year. It was fun to learn more about what his day of race is, how he gets athletes to run New York races, and what keeps him excited for future races. Really hope you enjoy this one as a running fan and give some insight as to how professional fields are put together. This was a lot of fun, and we really hope you enjoy it. As you mentioned at the top of this, make sure you're following us on social media. Check out our Patreon. Check out our website. We have a lot more in store for you this track season. So until then, here's to the glory days. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. This is episode two of 2022, and today we are joined with the Director of Professional Athletes for New York Roadrunners, Sam Brotwald. Hey, Sam. Hey, thank you for having me. I am honored that you had me on before Nick Simmons. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's a sore subject here on this podcast, so we'll, uh, (laughs) we'll, we'll, we're still, we've tried. We've we're done. We're done. You were, you were not our first choice, Sam. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so I was listening to uh, an Alley on the Run podcast episode that you did in September. And, and this is a direct quote. My running is not important. Nobody wants to hear about my running. And so I, I listened to that right before we had you on this podcast. And so I'm second guessing the whole thing. I, I, and I stand by that. But, um, but I'm an open book. So what do you, what do you want to know? And uh, I'll try to make it interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we, we like, we were a sucker for Genesis stories. So we, we'd love to hear about how you got into running and I'm assuming that's around high school. Yeah. I, I played a little bit of basketball in high school and every basic fundamental skill you need to play the game of basketball. Um, there was somebody on the team and in, in, in a lot of cases, multiple people on the, on, on the team who were, who were better than I was. Um, but the one, the one place where I, was able to sort of set myself apart was when it came time to run or when it came time to do conditioning drills or whatever. Like I could always go a little bit farther, push myself a little bit harder than the other guys. Like when it came to that time in practice, I was like, this is my time to shine. Right. Um, and then I broke my wrist doing one of those conditioning drills. And that was the end of my, my high school basketball career. Um, but we were, my family's at a wedding, uh, after my junior year of high school, um, fourth of July weekend in the little town where this wedding was being held, had a, had a fourth of July 5k. And I was like, Hey, I want to do that. And, um, I didn't even have running shoes. Like I had to borrow my little brother's running shoes to run this 5k, but I, I ran it and I enjoyed it. And I don't, I, I surpassed whatever expectations I had for it. Um, and so I decided, well, look, I'm pretty good at this. So I'll go go out for the, the team, my, the cross-country team, my senior year of high school. And I, I re- learned very quickly that I was not pretty good at it. Um, 
I think there were 50 guys on the cross country team, my high school cross country team, my senior year. And I was maybe the 45th guy, like, but I loved it. And um, so then I ran track that spring and I really loved that. And when I graduated from high school, I figured that was kind of the end of it. I never, never anticipated running for running in, in post running in college. And in fact, when I started looking at colleges and when I decided on college, I wasn't even a runner, but I ran throughout the summer. I ran a couple of road races. I, I improved a lot. And I was actually at a, a freshman orientation a few weeks before school started, um, before my freshman year of college. And somebody from the athletic department got up on stage and said, hey, is anybody interested in playing a sport? And I raised my hand and they took me into another room and I filled out a form. And a few days later, um, the head coach, Keith Ellingson, gave me a call and invited me to be on the team. And, and you know, that's, that's how it all started. But, um, um, but no, it was never running in college at any, at any level was not something that I ever, ever planned on until, <laughs> until it happened. So something you mentioned there was, you know, you loved running, but you weren't really good. You were towards the end of your high school team. I feel like a lot of those type of guys or girls, you know, lose interest in it because you're not very good. What was it that you loved about running that kept you motivated to run over the summer when you weren't going to be joining Simpsons College's cross-country team? I love the way that it made me feel. I like the camaraderie of the team, too. Although, you know, there was a hierarchy there. There was the top guys and then there was the, you know, the scrubs in the back with me. Um, but I love the way that it made me feel. I remember writing a, a paper in high school where I, I described the clean feeling in my chest. And, you know, it becomes, as you become more experienced and as you run more, that runner's high, I think becomes more difficult to achieve. But that's, that's what made me initially fall in love with it. And then as I got, into college and started running with a college team that was much smaller and much, I think, tighter knit. Then I really started to appreciate, you know, being part of a team and feeling part of something bigger than myself. And I also got into the sports side of it. Um, I remember, you know, back in those days, some very rudimentary message boards, um, you know, a couple precursors to what, you know, let's run today or whatever. Um, I remember spending a lot of my time on those and reading runner's world and things like that. So I, I got into, you know, this idea that running is, can, is a sport and something way, way bigger than me or my little team or, or division three or whatever. And um, it all sort of snowballed from there. You mentioned a phone call with coach Ellingson um, after you filled out that survey or whatever. I know we're going back ways here, but, but do you remember any part of that conversation or kind of what his pitch was? in terms of the, the college cross-country experience? At <laughs> there was no pitch. Um, like the high school program I came from, um, it's kind of a storied, storied program, Ames High School in the state of Iowa. And the coach that I that was still coaching was kind of a high, Iowa high school legend, this guy named John Sletton, who had been um, coaching for, for 40 years or whatever. So he he didn't know me and there was no reason that he should have, but he knew my high school program, certainly. And he knew my coach. And, um, I think honestly, he needed, he needed guys, <laughs> um, he needed warm bodies. So, um, you know, it's division three. And as, as you have said on the pod a number of times, the, the beauty of division three is that people get a chance that otherwise wouldn't get a chance. And he had no reason to, to extend an invitation for me to, to join the team. And, you know, honestly, I don't know if he thought I would last a season, but, um, but he did, and, and that's, that's sort of what's great about, about D3. And, you know, I said this, I've said this before, like I didn't realize at the time, but, but the chance that he gave me, it, it changed the trajectory of my entire life. Um, and I realized that, that more and more every year, like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here today. And I definitely wouldn't be talking to you if, if not for that chance that he gave me, you know, way back in 1996. This might get ahead of ourselves in our chronological story of, of you, but when you say that changed the trajectory of your life, you know, obviously now you're high up in the running world, but did that in college then, did that change what you wanted to study and what you wanted to do then post collegiately? How did it affect you like in that moment, would you say? Not at all. Um, it, what it did, it was it allowed me to stay in the sport in a very real way. Maybe I would have 
run on my own and run some road races when I was in college, you know, if had I not been part of the team, maybe not, I, I don't know. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I, I, I chose Simpson College completely independently of running. I knew what I wanted to do. I thought I knew what I wanted to do after graduation and, and being a runner didn't change any of that. Um, I, my degrees are in graphic design and journalism. And this was, you know, I graduated right before the first dot-com bubble burst. So I, you know, I was, I was going to be a web developer. I was going to design websites. That's what I wanted to do. And the summer after my junior year of college, I lived out in New York City. I worked as an intern at the Museum of Modern Art. And I became exposed to New York Roadrunners um, that way. I, I knew about them a little bit, reading about Fred Lebo or the New York City Marathon in, in Runner's World or whatever. But, but I, I got to run a couple of Roadrunners races and um, I left the keys to the Museum of Modern Art in the bathroom at the New York Roadrunner offices. Um, uh, you know, so, but I got, to, I, got to, I got to know Roadrunners a little bit, little bit more um, and then went back to school for the final year and graduated and started looking for jobs in web development that had nothing to do with, with running at all. But I happened to be on, on a message board that was sort of a precursor to, to Let's Run and Allison Wade, who you've had on the pod before, um, she had posted something that Roadrunners was looking for a web editor. And it was this, I had just graduated and I was, I was still running and, and you know kicking around and looking for a job. And it seemed to be this perfect marriage of, of running, which I really loved and, and what I kind of wanted to get into. Um, and uh, so I sent off a resume and a month and a half or whatever later, I was moving to New York. I kind of want to go back to one thing you talked about. You, you mentioned early your freshman year of college, you were kind of starting to get some exposure to like the professional side or the elite side of sport. Uh, I'm curious, what are, some, what are some things that initially kind of blew your mind? Um, you know, cause there's so many things like you can see like, oh my God, somebody just ran a 210 marathon or there's these track meets in Europe or do you remember what stuck with you at the time and how it kind of placed your own running in, into context? Yeah, we're talking about, you know, summer of 96 probably, right? So this is Atlanta Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Bob Kennedy, BK um, was whatever, fifth or sixth at the Atlanta Olympics and then went and ran 1258 a yeah. few weeks later, I think in Zurich. And that I think is one of the first things where I was like, oh my goodness, like um, this is really something like, I, so that, that, I, that I remember being one of the first, first real memories of, wow, this is, this is cool. Um, I was a big like Todd Williams fan, um, you know, that kind of thing. So those are, those are some of the first memories I have, you know, 96 uh, Olympic games in Atlanta and, and, and BK that summer. Um, which I think was probably his best year, certainly at 5,000 meters, um, that, that really made me realize that this is something, something more than just, you know, a bunch of kids running around a golf course or whatever. We got to go back to Noah's original quote, or I guess your original quote that Noah said that no one wants to hear about your running career. It's D3 glory days. We got to hear about your time at Simpson College. You know, what was your experience like? Obviously, you said it's affected your career trajectory and life trajectory, but what was it like being on the team? What was Simpson College like? you know, when you were running there? Yeah, um, it was a really small team. I think we, I think our biggest, our biggest year, my four years there on the cross country team, we had, we had nine guys because we had nine guys and we had a lot of like 800, 1500 guys. We were a pretty low mileage team because we just needed to keep everybody healthy. But what I needed to succeed was, was bigger mileage than everybody else. So I ran a lot, you know, on my own too. Um, I ran with the guys in the afternoons and then was doing morning runs and things like that. But I was, I, I definitely came from it from like a strength type place. So I think what I learned after a while, what I learned, my role on the team was like the workout mule. When you have nine, nine healthy young men all under the age of, of 22, you know, every day somebody's going to want to light out and go hard. And I sort of took it upon myself to run with whoever that was every single day, which definitely didn't help when it came to races. But that's what I, that's, that's the role I, I played on the team. I was never going to be the top guy. I was never going to be conference champion or whatever, but, but if, if somebody wanted to go hard or if somebody needed to be reined back in, that was, that was, I sort of took that upon myself. So that was um, I've talked before about, you know, finding, looking at a situation and finding out where you fit into it and in, collegiate cross country and collegiate nah, to a lesser extent collegiate track and field 
Um, that, that, was, that was my role. That was how I fit into it. And that was the contribution that I made. Um, and then, you know, in track, everybody ran the 800 and the 1500 and I was the 5k, 10k guy. Um, so again, a lot of doing what they did and then going off and doing a little bit more and all of that. But I loved, I loved being part of a team that were, they were my best friends. I don't stay in touch with all of them anymore, but I keep tabs on them, you know, on Instagram or whatever. And, um, it was a close knit group, I think. And we had a lot of fun together, but, but, you know, we weren't, we weren't world beaters either. What was your personal like performance highlight? Like, is there a race that has stuck with you all these years that you're like, man, that was the day where just everything clicked and I felt great. And that was the day I got the most out of myself. Uh, There's two. Um, One was my, my sophomore year and it was a cross country meet at Grinnell college. And it was a beautiful day. And they had this beautiful golf course with just gently rolling hills. And I felt really good, but I killed myself to stay ahead of this freshman teammate that I had. Um, and it, we, and he killed himself to try and get in front of me. And I think we both ran the best races of the season um, that, that day, because we were trying so hard to, you know, beat the other guy. So that was one that I, I just remember everything like, I finished that one and I was like, wow, that was, that was really great. And then, but certainly I think the best, the best race I had, but my my final race of my senior year in track um, was the 5,000 at conference. And I was, I was a spot out of being all conference. And that was, you know, that was, I won some, I won some races in college, but they weren't big races. So to get to the conference meet and be that close to something that I never would have dreamed of even a year before um, it, it told me, and it, it absolutely bore out, it told me that my best running was still ahead of me. One of the things that I think Coach Ellingson was always most proud of was the number of athletes that he coached who continued to make running part of their life um, after college. Um, and, and I still see that today, that a lot of my teammates you know, are still running, running regularly, running road races and marathons and all that. Um, so that was something I think, you know, that not, not only the fact that I still run every day today, 20, whatever years later, but that, um, you know, I continue to work in the sport and I'm involved in the sport. I hope, I hope that that is something that, um, that made him proud, but I knew just given how I, my trajectory of improvement during college, that, that my best days running would, would be ahead of me, would be post-collegiately. And that, that turned out to be the case that I continued to improve for the next two, three, four years, um, after graduation. Are you still keeping tabs on Simpson at all? They had two national qualifiers this year for the first time since 86. <laughs> yeah. You'll notice that that, that gap between 86 and this year did not include the four years that I was there. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I keep like, I haven't been back to campus in, in a long time, but I, you know, I keep tabs on them on social media and, and uh, certainly around conference and, and nationals and things like that. I'll, I'll try and pay attention to results and, and see, see how things are going. I don't know any of those guys now. And, um, but, but, uh, but yeah, I, I try to keep, keep tabs on, on what's going on in, you know, from like the 10,000 foot sense. You mentioned, you know, post-collegiate running stint. You were obviously bowing, balancing that with career goals, like, you know, most people do. Um, talk about like where running fit into your life as you were transitioning into, you know, life as a professional human being and, uh, you know, kind of what your goals were. Yeah. I mean, it was, I sort of thought that the marathon would be my best event and it turned out that it it wasn't, but, um, when I, I was 22, 23 years old and I'm living in New York city by myself and I'm working at New York Roadrunners, you know, I had, I had a lot of time to to just run. And so I ran a lot um, and maybe too much. I don't know um, for me, but, but I, I, I kept improving and I got, you know, I got, I got better from, you know, from 5k to, to the half marathon or whatever. And um, I, I never had any dreams of qualifying for the trials or anything like that, but um, I just wanted to get the most out of myself. And I feel like in, in most events, I did that. Do you feel like if you didn't run at Simpson, you would have stopped running post-collegiately then? Like, would you have had the same type of success you've had as a post-collegiate runner? I doubt it. Like I, 
if I had a guess, maybe I would have run a little bit on my own and maybe I would have, you know, run some 5k road races or whatever, but it certainly wouldn't have been the consuming part of my life that it became in college. And I certainly wouldn't have ended up at Roadrunners. I don't think, um, I'm sure of it. Um, so it's just, had I not, again, had I not been given that chance, like, I don't know what my life would look like now, but it would be very different. Um, I don't think I would be talking to you from this house in Southern California that I'm talking to you from and with, you know, um, the wife that I have in, in the other room and those kinds of things, all those things happened because, you know, I ended up at Roadrunners and I ended up at Roadrunners, I think in a very real way because of um, the opportunity that I was given to, to run D3 at, at Simpson. So as you transition into the New York Roadrunners, you're, you were in a different role than you're in now, and uh, we can talk about that. But as you joined the organization, like kind of put into context the importance of the professional side of the sport to the Roadrunners when you first joined and what was their investment like in the professional side of the sport? Yeah, it was, it was a real time of transition for, for Roadrunners, I think. This is, I, I start my first day was December 4th, 2000. So um, you know, Mary Wittenberg had been hired not too long before as the COO of the organization, but, but really the idea was that she would, she would take over the organization, um, when Alan Steinfeld retired and that ended up happening in early, early 2005. But Mary, you know, who was an Olympic trials qualifier and won the Marine Corps marathon. And, you know, she was really, really passionate about the pro side of the sport and Roadrunners had, um, pro athletes at that time at the, the mini 10 K the world's original women only road race and the New York city marathon. And then they had had, there had had been a professional elephant at the element at the fifth Avenue mile in the past, but that had sort of died on the vine late nineties, early two thousands. Um, so, but Mary was trying to, um, trying to, you know, revive some of that and, and, and expand what road owners was doing, um, on the pro side. Um, she invested, um, fairly heavily in these two websites that covered pro running men's racing and fast women that Allison Wade, who was, you know, at Roadrunners at the time was, was sort of overseeing. Um, and then right the week after I started, there was this transition from the longtime elite athlete coordinator to um, this guy named David Monty, who was, had been running a owned and, and, and ran a, a race results newsletter that, that came out every week and still comes out every week, race results weekly. Um, and he was transitioning into that role. So when I started, there were all these things happening and, and my role had nothing to do with pro sport at that time. I was updating, you know, our race information pages on the website and, and creating little web graphics and things like that. But as we started to add more professional races, we started hosting the USA 8K championships for men. We brought back pro racing at, at the Fifth Avenue Mile. Um, we added a couple races. Um, this race we called the Healthy Kidney 10K. And a few years down the chain, we added the New York City half. So we started adding all this, these, these events. Um, you know, and I I always had this interest in like the, the pro side of the sport. And it became it became pretty apparent that David. Um, who was really good at, 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 at what he was doing, he just needed more help. It was too much. There were more events and there was more stuff to be done at each event. And I guess I seemed like a natural fit to sort of transition over to that side because I had this, this interest um, uh, in, in it. And because we had, we had really blown out the coverage of pro sport and particularly pros in our events on the website. So I demonstrated that I, that I kind of knew my stuff in that regard. Am I wrong in saying that in the early 2000s, like before 2005 with the Fifth Avenue Mile, there was like a huge sponsorship ordeal where potentially, I want to say Donald Trump sponsored it and then it got pulled. And then that like opened the floodgates for like really big sponsors to come in and that kind of pushed Roadrunners forward. Yeah, a lot of that happened before um, I got there. But oh, you know, earlier? everything I know, Liam Boylan Pett in his... Um, in his, uh, his, Oh, that's where I read it. Yeah. He, he, he wrote the story that where I really learned about the whole, um, Trump sponsorship of the fifth Avenue mile. So it's not, there's nothing secret there. I just, I just can't really speak to it. Um, I do know that there was, 
you know, he, he sponsored, I think it was a two-year deal and he sponsored it for one and then wanted to pull out. And it was this big, big, ugly thing. Um, but I, I, you know, when there was just a few years there in the early 2000s where not much was going on with, with Fifth Ave and it was mostly won by like our best local people or whatever. But in 2005, ESPN2 produced this feature film on Roger Bannister running the first sub four minute mile, uh, it was called Four Minutes. And they wanted, as part of the marketing push for this, this film, um, they, they gave us money to put on a, a, a pro athlete field at Fifth Avenue Mile again. Um, and, you know, and that was part of the whole promotion of, of this, this film about, about Roger Bannister. So we had Craig Mottram and, and Alan Webb going head to head um, that year. And it was awesome. And that, it was so awesome that, that we stood at the finish line. We said, okay, we got to figure out a way to do this again next year. And that was whatever, 16, 17 years ago. And Fifth Avenue Mile is um, bigger and, and better than ever. So, um, but it all started, you know, I think it was, it was all because of that, that ESPN2 film that, that they, they produced. I think the uh, pessimists in like the professional world of distance running are always wondering why companies invest in athletes and what the upside, what, what upside exists for, for a company like the Roadrunners to invest in athletes when they're already making so much money from just kind of the everyman runner. Were, were you involved in any, of, in any of those like early conversations? within the organization where they were like, okay, we want to, we want to expand this budget, but, but why do we want to expand this budget? Yeah. I mean, I probably 2004, I started to be involved in those conversations and, and I, we, you know, we had some programs uh, in the past where we sponsored or, or contributed to various training groups around the country. And I, uh, I had a big hand in that. Um, so yeah, I would say in 2004, probably I started, being involved in those conversations and now I have to have them a, a lot as we you know discuss budgets and 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 certainly as we discuss budgets coming out of a or in the midst of a, of a pandemic right and and then the narrative is is easy right it's for me it's um, professional sport is what keeps this from just being another activity um, you know and professional athletes are they give some people, something to aspire to. They give kids something to look up to. No kid is um, going to bed at night dreaming of be becoming the next great spin instructor. You know, so, but, 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 but all sorts of kids go to bed at night dreaming of becoming the next Noah Drotti, right? So, um, so Thank that's, you, that's one Thank thing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sport drives a lot of media coverage. It drives all the television coverage. You can't, you can't build a, three-hour marathon show around somebody who takes four hours to finish a marathon. And we need, we need four-hour marathoners too, absolutely. And, and you know, um, <laughs> I'm probably a four-hour marathoner right now. So like, um, uh, no, no disrespect, but, but it, it's, it's important for all those reasons. If you, if you want to continue to be in the public eye and you want to continue to, to try and grow and get new people into it, um, you need to give people something to aspire to. So when you transitioned into what you're doing now with recruiting professional athletes to come run Roadrunners events, what does that look like? Like, I know there's a lot of NDAs in, in place where you can't talk about specifics, but is it more of, since you are a fan of running, like, Ooh, this would be an awesome field because I think it would be, or do you try to get it holistically a good field and, and bring them in that way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little of both and they coexist. You know, we have, I have, a, I have a, whatever it is, a half dozen events a year or whatever that I, that I work on. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, what I, what, what we're all trying to do, and it's not just me, right? I work, I work with a number of people who, who we all think about this. And I, I got to give a shout out to, to my partner in crime, Dorian Kale, um, <laughs> who, uh, who talks to me every day and, and, you know, listens to me grumble about this every day um but we're we're trying to what, what we're trying to do is like think about what a the narrative for every event is and who are the athletes that support support that narrative um so right now like i'm working on the united airlines new york city half in march and and what are the athletes that um you know support whatever the story is this year that that we're trying to tell and so so that's the first thing. Um, and like, 
we want a race that reflects the diversity of, of New York City itself. So, um, you know, you know that's, that's a lot of, that means a lot of things, diversity by country and diversity by training group and diversity by shoe company, right? Um, so, so all of these things that I would say are like race over race goals that we're trying to do. And then, and then sometimes you get, sometimes you get an opportunity comes up where like, it, it may be like, well, this may never happen again. And let's, let's try and make that work. But then, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan too. And there's things that I think would be cool and matchups that I want to see and, and things like that. And, and I think that if I want to see that, or if I think that's cool, then hopefully other people will be, will, will think that's cool too. Um, and, and hopefully the media will think that's cool and want to cover it. And, and it'll be something cool that we can tell, uh, you know, on the broadcast or show on the broadcast or whatever. So um, I think it's both, but, but I think that it, it kind of goes hand in hand. You have to have, you know, your finger on the pulse of the professional running community, obviously when assembling these fields and going, thinking about what exciting matchups would be like, what are, what are your, some, some of your favorite ways to like follow the sport, identify storylines and, you know, eventually get these people to the start line in New York. Yeah. I mean, social media helps a lot. And that was something that, you know, wasn't there when I started at Roadrunners. It didn't, it didn't exist. And really even when I started on the athlete side, didn't exist. Um, so that, that helps a lot. Um, David Monty's race results weekly newsletter helps a lot. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, I memorize that thing every week. Um, I try to watch as much running content as I can, but I have all these other things to do too, you know, and we were talking a little bit before we, we started recording about, about podcasts and running podcasts and there's, there's so much of it out there, but that's something like I've started to realize can be a really good tool to help me do my job. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do, nobody could ever listen to all the, the running podcast content out there, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to do that so that, that it helps me be better at what I do, but it's just like any running fan, you know, it's just consuming, you know, whatever you can, to, you know, or, or whatever makes sense. With as much detail as possible without ruining anything. So I know the pro running world is a bunch of secrets. What does a recruitment process look like to get an athlete like Noah, you know, how long does that take to get a pro runner, let's say the, the marathon for them to come in? I know, especially this year, I'm sure it was crazy with all six majors happening in a seven week span. So what does maybe a normal year look like in terms of getting the pro feel that you want? Yeah, it really depends on what the event is. Um, you know, and we do everything from the mile to the marathon, um, you know, in a, a 5k and a couple 10ks or a 10k and a half marathon in between. So we really have um, events that span the whole spectrum of, of distance running and, and are possible opportunities for basically every type of, of distance runner, right? But to a huge extent, it, it depends on where a particular event fits in like the, the hierarchy of what an athlete's goals are. So the New Balance Fifth Avenue Mile, for example, that's nobody's end of the year goal race, right? Nobody's, nobody's peaking for Fifth Ave, but it, it's, it's a really fun thing to do at the end of the track season for those, those athletes. Um, the MasterCard Mini 10K, the world's original women-only road race, probably not anybody's big, um, big goal for the season, but it can be this really important stepping stone to something they have to do, do later in the summer. Um, New York City half, United Airlines, New York City half is a little bit, for some people that is the big end of the winter goal. And for some people it's like a tune up for Boston or whatever. And then the TCS New York City marathon, that's, that's the big one, right? That's what, that's what people are training for. That's not a stepping stone to anything else. That's the big one. So, you know, how, how an event fits into to somebody's like plans, I think dictates a little bit about the, the timing of it all. Um, but I, I like to get a good sense of, you know, what athlete goals are, and then do we have opportunities for them to help them achieve those goals? And, and sometimes we do, and some, sometimes we don't, um, or sometimes the goals aren't in line with what, what, what New York runners can provide. Like, I don't expect anybody to come break the American marathon record at the TCS New York City marathon, right? There's, there's probably a better place for you to try and do that and then come to New York as the American record holder or whatever, whatever. So, um, 
So, but, but that's what I try to like to do. I, I like to get an understanding of what people's goals are and then see where we can fill in gaps and, and where we can, we can help support those. And, and if, if somebody thinks that running the mini um, is a good stepping stone to doing something really big on the track in August or whatever, then I'm, I'm happy to be that stepping stone. Or if somebody thinks the New York City, the United Airlines New York City half is a good stepping stone to them winning Boston, then I'm happy to, happy to play that part, even if it's not the big, the big goal thing. Um, but where can, where can we help support? And then along the way, you know, where can we feature them and, and, and leverage their participation to, to bring attention to, to our events? Cause that's, you know, that's a big part of this too, is that we want people paying attention to our events and we want people signing up and running our events and things like that. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship, I think. Obviously these contract negotiations are, you know, a big part of your job, but it's definitely not, the only part of your job, you're also kind of the, the guy on the ground for all these events. How, how would you chop up your job responsibilities for someone who doesn't totally understand what it is you do? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the whole recruiting and negotiation part. And that the United Airlines New York City half is March 20th. When we record this, it's January 6th. Um, we are deep in that right now. Um, and that's that's basically what I am I am focused on is just getting getting the field for the race set and hopefully by you know mid February that'll all be done. Meanwhile, Dorian is negotiating with the hotel and figuring that all out. And we've got a whole whole uh, team in our event production department that's making sure you know there's not going to be any construction on the course and that we got all the permits and all that. So it's a huge team effort. But but I am right now I'm just trying to get everybody's terms of participation settled and then once that's done well then we've got to figure out how everybody gets to town so we start booking travel and hopefully that starts february 1 and takes about three weeks to get everybody's travel sorted out and then you know we really sort of figure out all the operational components of 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 race weekend and particularly race day like what everybody's roles are and do we have do we need to go out and rent vehicles to get get people around and those kinds of things so um, I try to break it up into to these these chunks where okay this month I'm focusing on this these three weeks I'm focusing on that and then then these last two weeks these are the the details we need to tie up um, keeping in mind that you know before before the New York City half happens we got to be thinking about the Brooklyn half marathon in May and we have a little program for that and and while that's going on well then I got to be putting together the mini so it's not quite so clean that I'm working on one event at a time and especially in the fall where we have the new balance fifth avenue mile the Abbott dash to the finish line 5k which is the USATF 5k championships and then the TCS New York City marathon all that's going on at the same time um, you know in different uh, in different stages so it's it's a lot to keep track of but but that's that's kind of how it all works on race days what does your day look like the day of like are you following the athletes. I know you have a, a, a duty to get them to the finish line. As I've, we've seen on social media, you took, took a selfie this year uh, at the finish line, but what does that look like after the gun goes off? Yeah. I mean, let's take the, the TCS marathon is a, is a good example. Cause that's, it's the busiest, but also it's, it's the biggest, right? So, and we, again, it's not just me. I, we have a whole team with us uh, on race weekend that includes, um, some full-time New York runner staff from other departments who have been, who've been released uh, to work with us uh, on that week. It includes some volunteers and includes some seasonal part-time people. Um, so, so again, it's not just me, but, but at CCS New York City Marathon, we've got, we've got to get everybody, you know, from the hotel in Midtown Manhattan to our staging area um, at the Ocean Breeze Athletic Complex uh, in Staten Island. Um, and as part of our group on race day, we have about hundred sub elite athletes as part of that program. So we're talking about close to 270 people, uh, or excuse me, 170 people, um, in our group on race day, but we get them all out to, to Staten Island. Um, ocean breeze is beautiful. It's indoor, it's heated. They can warm up on the track, but it's about two miles from, from the start line. So we have to get back on the buses and drive to the Verrazano Narrows bridge. Uh, we get them all lined up. Uh, on the bridge, they go off, and then we jump uh, into vehicles and, and hightail it back to the finish, um, where hopefully we get to the finish about a, an hour before the, um, the top women start coming through. 
Um, and then at the finish, there's everything that, that, that needs to happen. Athletes need to, the top athletes need to, um, be interview on the TV broadcast and athletes need to go to the media center, um, to speak to the press and everybody else is coming through and needs to go to meet, you know, be reunited with their families and get their bags and recover. And, um, and then we got to get them all, all back to the hotel. So, um, that's, that's the big one and the really busy one, but, but every, every race is sort of like that, right? There's, we got to get into the start. We got to do whatever we have to do at the finish. And then we have to get everybody out of town. Um, so that's, that's what I do on race day is, is oversee and, and have a hand in all of that. Having been an athlete in this process, it's like pretty amazing how seamless it all feels as a participant in it. Just like, okay, I wake up and here's the bus and then I'm on the bus and now I'm at Ocean Breeze and, and everything just kind of happens to you and you have to really like zoom out to realize what an incredible production like it all is and all the effort that goes into it. Um, and it seemingly goes off without a hitch. Do you have any like favorite stories of when it like has not gone off without a hitch uh, or like a hitch that nobody really knew about except for the people behind the scenes? First, it, me it means a lot to hear you say that. And what I always tell my team is that athletes pick up on the vibes that we're giving out. So if we're running around acting like we don't know what's going on or we're all stressed and nervous, they're going to be stressed and nervous. But if we seem like we're calm, they're going to be calm. So I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I I tell that to the, the team all the time. So I, I'm glad to hear you say that, that Noah, but, but it, that, that just means that we're, we're, we're hiding all the, the for sure. The, yeah. The, the, yeah. The frantic, the, the frantic, um, well, um, you know, I've told, I've told some stories on, on other podcasts, so I don't, I, I don't want to repeat myself. I've got, um, I, I love stories where somebody else sort of rises to the occasion. One, I don't think I've told before, um, at the, the thing about the new Allen's Fifth Avenue mile is that the start and the finish line is the separation is 100% of the race distance. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so, um, we, we, everybody's on their own. We, we, we have a tent at the finish, but everybody's on their own to, to get up to the start. They incorporate that into their warm up, um, And then we have a, a truck that takes, takes their, ba their bags down to the finish um, before they start the race. And so a couple of years ago, some an overzealous volunteer put a bag on a truck too early and an athlete and i don't i don't remember who it was um got got to the start line and their bag was gone and their racing flats were gone and um so we radioed down to the finish and they were waiting there when the, the truck got there and they found the bag and then a volunteer or somebody from my team um she grabbed the, the running shoes and ran the mile back up <laughs> oh wow to the to the start line to get the shoes on the, on the feet of whatever, whoever the athlete was before the start of the race. So that was, um, that was really cool. Um, kind of a funny story and wouldn't be able to happen with the TCS New York city marathon, right. Only because it was the, the fifth Avenue mile and only because the distance was just a mile that we were able to do that. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories, and I, I've told this one before, um, at the 2009 New York city marathon, um, it had rained the night before, and this is back before we were at Ocean Breeze. We had this big tent sort of in the shadow of the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. And the tent, and it was a lovely tent, um, had breakfast and places to stretch out and carpet. Um, and the tent canopy had kept the, the rain from getting the, the carpet wet from the top, but the runoff had saturated the carpet from the bottom up. Um, and so we get to Staten Island and we get off the bus and, you know, Meb Kofleski's in the, in the race that year with the USA men's marathon championships. And Meb comes into the tent and he sets his backpack down on this wet carpet and the, the, the wet carpet saturates up into his backpack and soaks his, his compression socks that he was going to wear. Um, and, you know, what are we going to do? It's 6.30 AM in Staten Island on a Sunday. Where are we going to get Meb socks? Um, but somebody noticed there was this big heater blowing into the tent. And so we unhooked the big heater like vent tube and laid out Meb socks on a chair. And we used this heater tube to air dry, to blow dry Meb socks. Um, and he put, he put the socks on and he won the race. Um, and, uh, you know, it was because it was because somebody had this, this brilliant idea. Um, 
and you know, otherwise I, I don't know what, what would have happened. So those are two things I think that, um, you know, where something could have really gone wrong, but um, because we're so well-prepared, um, we're able to adjust and, it, and because we have a really good team, we're able to, to, to adjust to some things like that. And, and we have people who are really smart and know what they're doing and, and um, can come up with quick solutions like that. Can I try to solicit another MEB story? And I think I have my facts straight. So, so like the bus has a strict departure time. Like you have to be on the bus at a certain time. It's like 4.30 in the morning, whatever. And the bus waits for no one. Like and we have left people, yes. Right. And you have left people. But, but Meb missed the bus. I don't think Meb ever missed the bus. Hendrik Ramallah missed the, almost missed the bus once because he was in the shower. I think there's been two times where we've left, we've left somebody behind. We just couldn't find them. We left somebody behind. And um, in one of those instances, the guy wandered out of the hotel and got in a cop car and the cop drove him out to Staten Island and he actually beat the bus um, out to Staten Island. So he was at the tent waiting for us when we got there. Um, and the other time we never found the guy, um, but we got an alert that his chip was being read along the course. So he had just wandered onto another bus and rode out with like the regular participants and started like in a different corral and ran the race um, just, just like that. So those are the two times I remember leaving somebody. I don't think Meb ever missed a bus. Um, um, Meb was a pretty, Meb is a pretty timely guy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think I've told the story before about Hendrik Ramala um, almost missing the bus, um, getting on and then, you know, finishing second that year to Palter got in probably the most famous New York City Marathon finish in history. So what's it like seeing the start and then seeing the finish? Do you go back and watch the races? Or are you too burnt out at that point to, to see what happens during the, during it? Well, yeah, I mean, I, um, I want to watch the races, right? I don't, I, I don't get to see much on race day. When we get to the finish, I'm able to watch a little bit on the jumbotron at the finish line or whatever. Um, and I kind of need to do that to see what's going on and see who's likely to finish on the podium and, and things like that. Um, but I don't really get a chance to sit down and watch the broadcast, um, you know, until a week or, or so later when I've, when I've got some time to, to sit at home and, and everybody's out of town and all that. But, but I, but I do love watching, watching the race and, and I need to watch the race to, you know, make notes for the broadcast team and things like that. So, um, but there's, you don't get to see a whole lot um, on race day. And especially because I'm, I'm in a van for an hour between the, the start and the finish, but we're getting updates on the radio about kind of what's happening and splits and who's dropping out and things like that. And then, you know, again, I'm, I may be able to watch a few minutes once we get back to the finish line, but, um, but yeah, really, I'm, I'm just sort of taking other people's word for it um, until I get to watch the whole thing um, a few, few days to a week later. You and the team are, are just so busy during race week. I mean, you hardly have any time to yourself. You're just kind of going from thing to thing. But what, what are some, some of the moments over the years that you've learned like to personally savor, like where you can kind of take a beat, step away from everything? What, what are some of those moments you look forward to most during the year or maybe even specifically at the, at the marathon? One thing I remember from, from this past year, from 21, is, is how emotional it was to get back onto the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. Um, and I, I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to admit that, that I, I cried up there. Like it was, um, somebody even let me borrow their sunglasses for a little bit. But I, I remember, I remember um, I was standing there with Molly Seidel and, and we were just sort of marveling at the, the bridge ahead of us. And um, I'm not gonna use the language she used, but, but essentially we said, wow, this is, this is really cool. Um, and, uh, or maybe I used it, I don't know. But, um, <clears throat> but that's, that's one thing I think, you know, it's, we're really busy and it's, there's a lot of pressure because we're on live TV and, and you know, there's, it's so loud and there, people are, are scattered everywhere. So there's a, there's a lot going on, but it's really important to, take a second and just like marvel at it because this is, you know, it's, we're really lucky that we get to do this and why are we doing this if it's not fun? Um, so I tried to have more fun at the marathon start this year. And I 
and you know, Stu, you mentioned that that photo that you saw. That was like I think that showed in the faces of the women behind me. Like that was a fun moment, and it you see how they got into it and how they smiled. They we're all smiling at that, and um, you know, I think I think that's important. So that's that's something that I always I it's it's a lot of work, but try to take one second to to sort of marvel at it and and, and try to have a little bit of fun with it too. Um, you know the I, we didn't do it this year, but the the fireworks display that's that's often held on Friday night is a real cool moment to just take five minutes and and see all that that happening and 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 then go back to work. Um, those are those are some 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 times where you try to um, just take a take a beat to appreciate it. In your position, can I take a guess at your the two least favorite questions you probably get answered asked all the time? Yeah, please. So my first guess is, can I get an entry into the marathon? And number two, when is Kipchoge going to run New York? Are you asking me to answer these questions? Stu is asking you for an entry. Uh, (laughs) Part one may have an entry. Part two, is that your least favorite question? Or those two questions that I asked? I I, I don't know if they're my least favorite. I do get, I do get those a lot. Um, You know, and I, I, I mean, the first, the first one's harder. The second one, I, you know, I, I'm trying, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, uh, he, listen, I, I take it on faith that Elliot says he wants to run all six majors. You know, I, I trust the guy. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, it's, yeah, we'd all, we'd all love to see it. Um, and it's, it's, it's certainly not at this point been, been for lack of lack of effort, but, um, I, I, I sort of think that, every decision we make in life is sort of what leads us to where we are and everything that um, Eliud has done and accomplished in his career is leading up to the day where he runs the TCS New City Marathon. So when it happens, um, you know, I, I, I do believe it'll happen. Um, I don't know when, but, but when it happens, you know, I think it'll, it'll be worth the wait. What, what do you see as the most annoying question that people ask you? Oh boy. Like close? Um, I mean, it's look, people want to run the race, you know, and and um, uh, so I don't I don't begrudge anybody asking to, to get into the race. I you know it's it's I'm I'm working on the United Airlines New York City half right now. Um, I think because some races still haven't come back because there's not uh, because London has pushed to the fall again and really you know so there's not as many big marathons this spring um you know the new york city half is a really compelling idea for people this year and we just you know we the the demand to get into that race right now is is so huge i've heard from 250 qualified ish you know credible people who all want to run and we can't we can't take a quarter of that right um so um i you know i get i get that people want to run and that's great it's great to have events that people want to run in it's, you know, but I, but I, I struggle with it because some, some really difficult decisions have to be made um, on, on things like this. Um, I think, you know, one thing I tell Dorian a lot is that there's no such thing as, as just an entry. You know, he just needs a number. Well, that, that's, that's never the case because then they need a ride. You know, they, they need a seat on the bus. And, and, and these days now they need to be part of the COVID testing program and, you know, all those kinds of things. So um, that's, but that's not like, that's, that's something that I have to deal with. Right. That's not something that I, I I think I, you know, but, but I, but I get people, people want to run the race and people need to ask for entries and all that. And I don't, I don't begrudge them that at all. In an era where people, people seem to change careers, like very often you've been with the road runners for a long time. Um, you know, what keeps you excited about your job? What keeps it fresh? And how is kind of your mission within the Roadrunners maybe evolved? Um, that's a lot of questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I mean, I I don't think it's any secret. That, you know, it hasn't always been great. I mean, I've been there even 20, 23 years or whatever of any relationship, 22 years of any relationship. It's not all, it's not all perfect. And, and there were times when I, I tried to to try to find something else. And for whatever reason, I never found something that, that was the, a great fit um, or that, that panned out. But, but I'm, I'm really lucky right now that 
I'm in the position that I'm in and that I, you know, I have the trust that I have at Roadrunners. And again, I rely on a lot of people, but, but, but people trust me to, to sort of do, do this. And I, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm good at it. And, um, I can't, I can't think of anything else, certainly that I'd rather be doing, but that I would be, you know, half as good at, um, like, <laughs> you know, my, I wanted to get into web development, right? Well, think about when I was that YouTube wasn't a thing, Twitter and Instagram didn't exist. Um, you know, it, it was, it was so different now. Like I, I wouldn't even be able to do, go back and do that now. The, the, the world is so different now. So um, this is, I think really, this is something that I have evolved into and has grown with me. And I've, I've actually been able to create and, and build a little bit. So, and I'm really, really lucky in that regard, but um, I can't at this point, I can't think of anything that, that I, that I'd even want to be doing anything else that I didn't want to be doing. One question I'm curious, and you mentioned it, if it comes down to two individuals and they both want to run one of your races and you have one spot left, how do you go about is, or is that even the case where you have to choose between someone? I, yeah, I mean, I, I think we have to make, we have to make choices all the time, right? We have 250 people who want to run the New York city half and yeah. you can't take that many. So, um, I, one thing I, I feel, one thing I, I feel like the scrutiny is such that I have to be able to justify every single entry that I give to anybody. Well, so if I enter this guy with a 62 minute half marathon personal best, why did I choose him over all the other 62 minute guys that, you know, so that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm trying to put together the best athletes to promote our event. So is there something that gives one person an edge over another? And is that something that I can use as justification if asked? Um, uh, so, so those, those types of things, sometimes it's those intangibles that they talk about in other sports that, that end up being, being the deciding factor or whatever. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we have to, we have to make decisions like that, like that all the time. And, and we, we can't possibly accept everybody that wants, wants to run in our races. And, and I don't think that would be interesting anyway. Like it's interesting to that's why we make a big deal about announcing the field, right? Who, who's in the race this year. It's, it's not everybody. It's this select group of people that we've kind of handpicked. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes it's pretty, pretty clear cut, like, okay, I, I know why this decision was made, but sometimes it, it comes down to those things. Like who's the best, who's the best person to help us promote this event and, and who might the media be more interested in or who's got a compelling story or, or, or whatever. I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it, we, we, we look at a lot of different things uh, in that regard. I think people, you know, plugged into the sport would probably consider what you to be, what you do to be like the running fan, running super fan dream job to some extent. Um, how would you uh, respond to that characterization? Yeah, I, I get that. Like, um, and I, I get fairly regularly people ask me, how do I do what you do? And, you know, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, I got really, I, you know, I was able to take advantage of some opportunities that were given to me. And, you know, this job certainly did not exist when I started. And it's been something that I've been able to, to sort of build and, and push into new areas. And, and um, you know, it's been a lot of luck and, and a lot of hard work to, to do what I'm doing. It's so much more than just running. Like, the whole budgeting and reporting thing. And there's a whole risk management component to, to what I do to hit those budgets at the end of the race. And, and, you know, I, I've choked about this on, on other podcasts. Like I, I mean, I, I, I work in spreadsheets. Like that's, that's what I do all day. I'm not watching, I'm not watching YouTube videos of running all day. I'm, 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 you know, it's all numbers on spreadsheets. So it's, you know, it's, it's more than just running. Um, but, but yeah, I get, I get the idea that this, that I have a pretty cool job and I'm, I'm really, really lucky in that, that regard. So through this conversation and it's clear that, you know, when you handpick a field, you're handpicking them, not only to have a good race, but for 
for them to succeed and to run well at your races. So for this year in particular, you know, we saw some pretty strong debuts at New York, strong debut marathons. So how excited do you get when you see Molly Seidel and Anna Frisbee, you know, just crush it at New York for their first New York marathon? It's awesome. I mean, I, you know, and I, I told Molly right after the race, you didn't, you didn't need to do that. Right. You, for somebody like Molly who came into the race, as the Olympic bronze medalist, like so much of her value was earned even before the race, um, you know, because so many people were into her and excited about her. She did this awesome, cool thing on the broadcast before that. She, she didn't have to go and finish fourth and run the fastest ever time by an American woman there. And it would have been fine, but she did that. And that was awesome. And, and Annie, um, I, I'll be the first to admit that I had to be convinced about Annie when, when her coach, Chris Lundstrom first, first approached me about, about her running. And he said, no, she's going to be really good. And as I watched her results over the course of the summer, and certainly as she started moving to longer road races, I was like, oh yeah, she is going to be really good. And I still, you know, she still exceeded my expectations uh, in the race and Kellen Taylor and, and Laura Thweet, um, you know, ran 227. 227 flat in New York. I was the fourth American woman. That's, that's crazy. Right. So um, it was, yeah, I, I love, I, I celebrate those achievements as much as I, you know, mourn the people who have disappointing races and feel bad for um, um, because I know how hard everybody works and, and um, you know, I, I know people hope to take advantage of the opportunities that they're given. So I, I loved Annie and Molly and Elkanah Kabet on the men's side, I think, were the people who took advantage of the opportunity like the most. Um, I don't want to I don't want to say that, but but I, I really like how they the, those three took advantage of the opportunity to run New York and, and really, really delivered, I think, was um, um, was really gratifying. Albert career on the men's side, too, um, you know, to to win the whole thing. Um, you know, he took advantage of, of that opportunity. So that's, that's really cool when, when um, everything comes together for a, for an athlete and they're, they're able to do that. I'm going to add Nathan Martin to your list too. Nathan, I, think. I mean, like, look, I don't, I, at the risk of excluding everybody. Yeah. There's like um, a big list. Yeah. But I, you know, like Elkanah, I got, I got a little bit of, I got a little bit of heat for not heat, but you know, I got a little bit of snark for adding Elkanah to the field. Like I was, he's old and what has he done in a couple of years? And man, he really delivered and I'm, I'm really proud of him. And, and, um, you know, so that's, um, I can't say that I knew that that was going to happen, but it ended up being the right decision. Right. And, um, and so that's, that's something that's, that's really cool to see. So you're obviously, you know, primarily concerned with that, that pointy end of elite performance, like you want the best people. Is there any part of you, like with that division three background where you kind of always have, maybe the eye out for that person from a division three background or D2 or whatever, who's kind of under the radar, but needs an opportunity. I, I would love that. And if I'm ever in a position to, to provide that person with an opportunity, I, I, I want to try and do that. And it doesn't always work. And I'm not, I'm not prepared to speak to any specifics right now. You know, in this podcast, I just, I'm just, I don't, I don't have that all at my fingertips, but, but yeah, I mean, um, I don't care whether you ran D3 or D1 or didn't run at all. Um, like if you seem like a good, good fit for an event and a, uh, and a good fit for the narrative of, of whatever, you know, whatever story we're trying to tell with our event, I, I'll do my best to, to give those people an opportunity. Um, you know, so that's, um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I hope that I have a reputation that I'm not just you know, if you don't have an agent or you're not a world beater yet, but I think there might be some potential there or whatever. Um, I, I, I hope that that's, that's something that we'll be able to, um, you know, we would be able to do. As we begin to wrap here, I have one question and you can say yes or no if you want to answer this, but have you reached your dream field yet? Have you gotten everyone that you've hopefully can have run at New York. I know we mentioned Kipchoge, not yet, but are you, is there anyone else out there that you're still trying to get to run New York? Well, the good thing is that there's, there's always new athletes coming up. I mean, one of the things that we always try to do is um, 
to get, especially with the marathon, you know, get somebody running their first one. Um, and, uh, you know, have somebody making their marathon debut. That's, that's compelling and cool. So, you know, there, you'll never get everybody because there's always that, that, that next person coming up and, you know, couple of years, what's Connor Mance going to do in, in the marathon? I don't know, but, um, it's all, it's all heading that way. Right. And, and, um, you, you just don't know. And that's why the marathon debuts are cool because maybe they, maybe they finished second, the race like Shalane Flanagan did, um, in, uh, in, in 2010, or maybe they blow up on first Avenue and finish 12th in the race like Neb did in, in 2002. Right. You just don't know. And that's, it gets people talking. So, so that's something like I'll never, I'll never have, okay, well, I'm done because every athlete that I've ever um, appreciated, I've, I've gotten into a race. Um, but, but yeah, like I, I, there's still things like I, you know, there's still matchups I want to see um, and matchups I want to see in New York and, and some things like that. So, um, and, and, and directions we've taken a race or we've never taken a race before that, that I think we could take it. Um, like we've never new balance fifth Avenue mile. We've never put together a race trying to break that, um, that, that course record that stood since 1981 or whatever. We've never, we've never tried to do that, but maybe in 2022, I'll try and get Jakob Ingerbertson and Stewie McSwain going head to head to break that record because we've never tried that. And wouldn't that be cool to see? So, um, you know, that's, uh, there's always something the sport's constantly changing and new athletes are establishing themselves. You just, you guys just had Andy Ronefels on again. And um, that's a new athlete to be, to be talking about and be considering. Right. So um, I, I hope I'm never like, I'm, I'm done. I've, I've gotten everybody because that's, that's never the case. There's always new people who are, who are making themselves relevant and, and could potentially be exciting for our events. Cool, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us. I think we're going to let you uh, let you go and get back to shaping the future of the sport as we know it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we really appreciate you uh, sitting down with us this morning. Oh, this was fun. Thank you very much, guys. All right, that does it for another episode of D3 Glory Days on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. A big thank you to Sam for taking some time to talk to us today in the middle of recruiting for the New York City Half Marathon. We really appreciate his time and all the insight he was able to give on filling professional fields. It was great to hear how his story of D3 running impacted his life trajectory, and he wouldn't be here today doing what he's doing without his experience at Simpson College and Coach Ellingson giving him an opportunity to run. As you mentioned at the top of the show, make sure you're following us on social media. We have a lot in store for you all this track season and this year for our podcast as well. If you want to be a backer on Patreon, we would be forever indebted to you all. We really appreciate the support, and we're really excited to take D3 Glory Days to the next level. So until then, here's to the Glory Days.